New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Thing on Total Soccer Show, the show where we dig into some of soccer's meatiest topics. Today, we're talking about sports betting on the back of the news of Ivan Tony's ban. The Brentford striker was found guilty of breaching English Football Association betting rules on 232 occasions between February 2017 and January 2021 and has been banned from the sport for eight months. Tony won't play again until January 17th, 2024, and he isn't even allowed to train with his team for the next four months. Now, Tony's far from the first player to be punished for betting activity, and his case highlights the influence of the gambling industry on the beautiful game. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we've got a bit of a duopoly going on Mm -hmm. here. Just me and Big T, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It's been a long time since it was just you and me, I think. Am I forgetting something recently? Otherwise, I feel like it's been a good little bit since it was just you and I chatting it up. To quote my favorite band, it's been a while. Been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) To quote your favorite band slash comedy bang bang running bit. Uh, yeah, two yeah. things. It could two things. Can what's your what's your saying? It could, it could be two things. <laughs> yes, it could be two things. That's How long it. You have I nailed you? it precisely. <laughs> How long have I been speaking to you and I didn't nail your phrase? Eh, it's fine. Disgusting behaviour from me, Taylor. Today we are talking about sports betting. Now, uh, this is an interesting one. Obviously, for many reasons, uh, it's a controversial topic within, say, the Premier League with mm-hmm. sponsorships and all that kind of jazz. We can get into it. And also, as I mentioned, Ivan Tony isn't the first player to be banned for this kind of activity. And in the US, we've also seen some recent uh, instances in the NFL with players uh, falling foul of betting rules. Uh do you want me to read out the rules or is that boring? What do we want to do about this, Taylor? I, actually, I would like that because I think that kind of establishes some good information and also i'm not sure i know exactly what the rules are i didn't realize how different the rules could be from league to league until i was looking at north america where Mm. each professional league seems to have different rules for gambling and what constitutes gambling even so uh, yes rule away my friend okay so the rules for the english football association the fa Mm, this is rule e8 uh, to which Ivan Tony and many of his predecessors have fallen foul. A participant shall not bet either directly or indirectly or instruct, permit, cause or enable any person to bet on the result, progress, conduct or any other aspect of or occurrence or in connection, it's very legal, or in connection with a football match or competition or any other matter concerning or related to football anywhere in the world, including, for example, and without limitation, the transfer of players, employment of managers, team selection, or disciplinary matters. And part B of the rule where a 
participant provides to any other person any information relating to football which the participant has obtained by virtue of his or her position within the game and which is not publicly available at that time. The participant shall be in breach of his rule where any of that information is used by that person for or in relation to betting. Hmm. Now, Ivan Tony has fallen foul of, I, 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 it appears, placing bets on particular game moments or games themselves. There's been some different instances of betting uh, rules being breached in the past. Taylor. One of the more famous ones in English soccer, Joey Barton, who in 2017 was banned for 18 months. He was also fined £30,000. Tony's been fined £50,000, by the way, which is, you know, it, it's small change, I suppose, for, for, a, for a Premier League soccer player, but still reasonably significant figure. Joey Barton was fined uh, for placing 1,260 bets. Um, his his ban was origin, uh, wow. originally 18 months. It was reduced to five because it would have basically ended his soccer career uh, if it was the full 18. More recently in 2020, Kieran Trippier. Now, it, I mentioned about uh, influencing transfers as well. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. Kieran Trippier and Daniel Sturridge did the same thing in 2018. Uh, Kieran Trippier got a four-month ban for bets placed over his move to Atletico Madrid. Essentially... The story goes that he was yeah. telling friends to, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to move to Atleti. You might want to lump on at the at the bookmakers in this yeah. instance. And and I think I that's the the when you begin Law E8 with uh, directly or indirectly. I believe that is what they're referencing. That you can't give information that would allow other people to make wagers, and you can't have other people make wagers on your behalf. That's right. Uh, I am still confused how these people get caught, and I don't mean that in like it's so obvious. It's gonna, I mean genuinely, is it? Tax returns? Is it they're seen at a betting parlor? Do they post something when they shouldn't? I don't know how individual players seem to get nabbed in this way, uh, but it does tend to happen every now and then. And, and I'm wondering what the protocol is there or how if it's just sort of like a hotline, a gambling hotline where they get turned in. That one yeah. I still don't really have any insight into. I mean, we can only speculate on that, I suppose, but I, I would imagine it's when they're getting sloppy. And if one bet is discovered at, say, they're using a particular bookmaker, then it's easy to find 231 others, I suppose, mm -hmm. on that same account. But even, you know, anecdotally speaking, you'd hear like Arsenal players in the 90s talking openly about, mm -hmm. I, got, I used to get my friend to place all my bets for me. I'm not going to name any names or anything. This is all out there. Uh, how it's quite common in soccer for betting to be part of the culture and that's something we should also talk about later in this episode taylor about the, the cultural aspect of betting yeah but it's not unusual um a few other names andros townsend martin demichelis and cameron jerome also found guilty of betting in in the uh, english uh, system as well so yeah it, it goes on a lot and as to whether you get caught I suppose maybe maybe this maybe there's it's it's rife and these yeah. these are these are small instances where it's happening. We can only speculate on that, Taylor. But I don't know. It's it's a tricky situation and it's one which is influenced by the fact that sports betting and gambling has a massive it plays a massive part in say the Premier League. In yeah, terms of I mean that's the thing that I, I also find confusing about this. And I, and I think to start. We come at this not even really from two different like you're on one side, I'm on the other, but just more so I think betting is is more or gambling is more common. It's interesting to me that I feel like you all call it betting instead of gambling. I feel like betting places, betting odds. Uh, but I think it's much more common in England, it seems to be, or in the UK. Yeah. And and so I think that's changing a little bit. I think it's becoming more common in the United States. But I think it took Daryl explaining to me how much – it was just standard practice of you get your wages at the end of a shift or like at the end of two weeks or whatever, and then you're going to go to the pub and you're going to like play some play some wagers and how many people would would sort of gamble away their entire paycheck really, really quickly because you can just kind of 
do it anywhere. And I think when you then have gambling sponsors on the front of shirts and on the sleeves and on the advertisements and sponsoring awards at the end of the season, I saw that one that I thought was really interesting. I uh, forget which group it was that point, like uh, posted different photos of Ivan Tony winning awards and, and like lifting them up in front of gambling sponsors and being like, so, so that's fine. That's okay. You can have the gambling sponsor behind him supporting the mm-hmm. thing, but he can't place the bet. That's where it gets a little bit confusing to me when you have gambling everywhere around it, except with anybody affiliated with it, basically. Yeah. And perhaps we should have said this earlier on, but just to be clear to why it's bad for soccer players to bet on mm-hmm. sports, it's integrity, isn't it? Obviously, it, it can be linked to match fixing. It can link to all kinds of shenanigans. And it's it's basically same with, uh, um, you know, t- tipping someone off on your transfer. Mm-hmm. It's effectively insider trading through gambling. Yeah. yeah. So. And I think and I think the the slippery slope argument applies pretty well here that sure, you can start off. Maybe, uh, like, I think the NFL, you're not allowed to wager on any professional sport at all. Like, Major League Baseball, I think you can't bet on any baseball games, but other sports are fine. Same thing with hockey. Uh, But I think about it like this, that if you can bet on other, like, if you're betting surreptitiously on other sports and then you start betting on football, because, like, I've been losing, but I know this sport, I know this game. And then maybe along the way you start to lose a little bit more. There could be a moment when, well, I know we're playing this team and... If if we don't win, then like I'll stand and make a bunch of money. Like I think that's the idea that it very quickly can corrupt and become, yeah, influencing matches, match fixing, all that type of stuff. And then oftentimes you will also get the concern, or occasionally the justified concern, of organized crime getting involved. If you've got yeah. a player who's who's throwing games or shaving points, if you're in the NBA or college basketball, then it can it can even spread from there and become more of an organized thing, and that can itself be a massive problem. Yeah, of course. So obviously we don't want sports people betting in particular. It's not a desirable thing to happen. But there's nuance here and you have to see Ivan Tony, a young man, wearing a betting logo on his shirt at his employer's behest every yeah. single day, uh, doing something which is culturally very popular in the country in which he resides and was brought up. It's it's a challenging position to be in, Taylor. It absolutely is. And I mean, I think about the the documentary about Michael Jordan when it's very clear he's a gambling addict. He's a full-blown gambling addict who gambles on everything all the time and will find a way to, to make wagers. And, and I think that is, certainly Michael Jordan takes it to a new level, but if you're a, a, a 20-year-old who's being paid the amount that Premier League players are being paid, or a 25-year-old or whatever, and you're, the incentive is to just be incredibly competitive and always competing and always working and always trying to be, to best the other people around you like you're i think it's pretty natural that you're going to throw some money down unofficially on games or or like you know talking trash with a, a person who plays for another team i think that happens all the time in every sport um and so I think there's probably like an unofficial betting like system not even a system just there's unofficial bets that that happen and i think that is for some reason accepted and fine and celebrated if it's Michael Jordan. But then when we get sort of wind of Ivan Tony betting over 200 times, it becomes, well, no, this is, this is totally wrong. And it calls the game into disrepute or whatever. I, I, I understand why you need to have those rules. It just simultaneously feels very selective in the application or the prosecution. Yeah. Now, now perhaps say for the, for the benefit of the listener, we should probably lay out, our positions mm-hmm. on betting, but I think you've you, you've you've mentioned there that neither of us are puritanical about it or no. massive, uh, uh, you know, massively endorsing the industry. But like, I think we come from slightly different positions. So, full disclosure for me, 
I have worked in sports betting and have done for the best part of my career in soccer. The first job I had in soccer out of college was for a sports betting company, writing betting previews. That's basically how I got my break in this industry. And since then, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote down the amount of betting people I've worked for, just to be completely transparent with this. I've worked for Betfair, Leo Vegas, DraftKings, FanDuel, Colossus Bets. And currently, I am on a TV show called Live on the Line, which is BetMGM's uh, daily betting show. I go on that once or twice a week to talk soccer. Uh, And I also work in sports betting PR for several companies as well. So I'm very much in this sphere. And for me, I think not only have I worked professionally in betting, but it's been kind of part of my life and upbringing Mm -hmm. culturally. Because when you're you're in the UK, for better or worse, there's there's betting stores on every high street. Uh, when I used to go to the games, you know, every week with my with my dad and, and my brother, there's there's betting places within the stadium at Selhurst Park, home of uh, the famous AFC Richmond. Wait, they're um, in the stadium? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go every every we go to Selhurst Park. I did not go know inside, that. and at the you get a bar, at the uh, drink at the bar before the game, which doesn't face the field because you can't drink alcohol facing the field. There's like some double doors again. But, in every the, bar, every the weirdness bar, of your rules are are odd to me. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> but like, I, I remember vividly next to the bar in every bar, and there's probably ten or fifteen of them in Selhurst Park itself. There certainly was back in the day. Like little Ladbrokes, Ladbrokes is a betting um, um, mm-hmm. peddler, uh, and they had little stools where you'd fill out a little bit of paper and you you write down your bets, and it'll be like the thing that everyone would do. Just put like one pound on it mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was, it's, it's not. I think. There's a difference culturally in the UK and US because certainly before this kind of controversy has arisen with players being banned, betting's not really as a, a dirty word as it might be considered, or it's not considered as problematic as it might be in the US. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's maybe some reasons for that because betting and legal betting is quite in in its nascent period in the US. I think it was maybe four or five years ago when there was a federal law that was passed that let states individually state by state decide whether mm. to have legal sports betting and at last count if i'm correct it's something like 30 or 33 states have legal sports betting either online or in sportsbook so it's in a very, it's basically it's the wild west a little bit if sport, new states are opening up all the time um like mm. there was a big vote i think it was late last year for california to get legal sports betting and there was huge political spending on it there was uh commercials on tv i cuz I may or may not VPN to watch my Fubu Fubo from yeah, from, from Italy. I see Californian commercials for yeah. anti-sports betting, uh, which ironically are um, were mo- mainly sponsored by Tribal Gaming, Indian Gaming, mm-hmm. who didn't want um, competition for their product on Tribal Interesting. Land. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. A lot of money. Which a lot makes of money sense. spent on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I get it. But yeah, but my my point in bringing it up is that you know. Betting is <laughs> betting has been around since the dawn of mankind, but as a business, it's been very much more culturally accepted in the UK than it has in the US. Peaky Blinders they were they ran a they ran a book. Mm-hmm. Well, They're not know. a great example, though. I think uh, when we're, when we're looking for legal, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that was maybe that was the quest of one season was to become legal bookmakers. I forget yeah. what the, the yeah. it, you know they all kind of blend together. Yeah, you're right, you're but right. I, but I think the 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 point you're making there is, in my mind at least, astute and correct. That I think. The ubiquity of gambling and betting uh, and opportunities to do those, stalls to do do so, stores, whatever, in England, it it makes it more accepted. But I think it also removes some of the stigma and then it also, I think, removes some of the fear and some of the, 
I, like maybe witch hunt around it a little bit, uh, for better or for worse. Whereas I do think in the United States, like even that difference that I spotlighted earlier, it's telling to me that like you all call it betting, and I feel like we would call it gambling. And I do think that like oh he's gambling, like it's it just has a more negative connotation. I'm assuming sure. that connects to. Uh, the prosecution of organized crime in the Prohibition era is my guess as to where we started to see some of the crackdown on that level. But I remember when the poker boom happened uh, here, or boom happened here in the U.S. Uh, after Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker, I, like many, 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 many other people, got really into poker. And there was a brief window when you could gamble online and you could play poker online through, you know, offshore sites and everything. And then all of those kind of got shut down at once and it was a big deal and people lost a ton of money. But to your point, there was there was and sort of still is a Wild West feel to some of the gambling and the ways it can occur and some of the legal loopholes that I think, like, you could have... I will never fully be able to explain this, but you can have like slot machines in Virginia because they're based on like historical horse races. And so since they've happened in the past, you're like not technically gambling. It doesn't, I know that doesn't make any sense, but it's the best way I can explain like the gray machines that aren't legal, Mm. but aren't illegal. And so they exist. And those are the things that I feel like are now in every convenience store and very easily take all of your money because they're addictive and they're, flashy and they're easy and they're simple and they happen very quickly and then suddenly you're out 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it may be yeah those casino games are a whole different ball game Mm -hmm. there's there's various laws and various loopholes that people can get around and there's quite a big evolution of sports betting in the u.s at the moment is free to play games i'm I'm getting quite into nerdy industry stuff but you say like on the nbc premier league coverage where they have a pick six Mm -hmm. pick these six results and you can win two hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is that's free to play gaming it's it's gambling Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's it, because it can get around the loophole because it's a free-to-play game, yep. essentially. Yeah, so. uh, the Virginia Lottery has the same thing on their app right. where you have a, like different free games that you can play. And then, of course, want to increase your odds? <laughs> like, put in five bucks instead of playing for free. Yeah, so that's where it, again, takes on, I think, it can be a more insidious form. Because mm-hmm. I think you then have to be informed as to the odds and informed as to what you're doing. Uh, and I think ideally having support systems in place if maybe you find yourself gambling too often and i and i think that is where i start to feel uncomfortable with gambling is when it starts to feel predatory or even just it feels like a thing that is knowledge known only to a few and and i think by contrast what you're talking about where it's like everybody's doing it you throw a pound down i i think when you're in it really quickly or when you're kind of brought up in it you understand it more and i think understanding it can make it simultaneously more common, but it can also help you, I think, have less stigma around it, but then not be afraid to ask, like, wait, how does this work? How do you do this? How does that? And I think the more informed you can be, the better it's always going to turn out. Absolutely so. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's dig a little bit more into Ivan Tony's ban uh, and how, how, uh, how we should feel about it effectively. Back shortly. Mm. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one... It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. We are talking about uh, gaming. Gaming's another um, synonym that makes it sound less bad than gambling, uh-huh. by the yes, way. Yes, it does. Taylor. Yeah, yep. it does. Gaming, it's just a game. Um, <laughs> That's so, a really good point. The Nevada Gaming Commission. Yeah, yeah. you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Ivan Tony, eight-month ban, which might get shortened on appeal. Joey Buttons was, after all, as mm-hmm. well. There's some controversy about these bans because, you know, if a racist abuse gets less than this. Mm-hmm. That's not to denigrate the seriousness of what, you know, sports betting can do to the integrity of the game, but it feels questionable here. So mm-hmm. how do we feel about that for a start? About the ban itself? About the length of the ban, eight months. Is it is it way harsh, Ty, to quote one of your favorite movies? <laughs> I thought it was until I was reading about the recent ones in the NFL where you've got... I think four players banned for an entire year. Uh, they'll miss an entire season. Uh, Tony's, I'm assuming it's not like, it's not eight months of the season, right? So he's no, he's banned. No. He can't start training until September. But mm-hmm. it's not as though he's banned for eight months starting in August. So I think right there, like it, it's not as harsh as some of the other bands we've seen. And then I think a lot of it depends on what those wagers were because... I I do sort of think that there's a world in which you could have like a player's betting system where players are allowed to gamble, but they have to report it and they have to report what they're betting on. Because I don't think, you know, if you have the means and the, and the information behind it at, at, like, and it's not going to ruin you, I think like I don't really have an issue with gaming, gambling, betting. Uh, but I think it is that fear of what happens if things are going wrong and Ivan Tony bets on himself not to score in a game or something like that. That is yeah. where I think those bans become far more acceptable to me when there is that fear of corruption of the sport or just things happening that we're not able to see. But you make a very good point that, you don't have such harsh punishments with things that I would argue should be far more aggressively punished. So in that way, it does feel harsh, but then there's a 50,000 pound like 50,000 pound fee, which is what maybe his week's wages, probably not even that. So then it, then it simultaneously doesn't feel that harsh either. Mm. Do we feel sympathy for Ivan Tony in any way, Taylor? Yes. Uh, we know. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you've, you've jumped the gun on my question yes. there, but obviously this 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 ban effectively kept mm-hmm. him out of the 2022 World Cup. Yep. He was nailed on to go to Qatar, but then this basically this story broke the week before the squad was announced, mm-hmm. I believe, or the week after, whenever it was around that time. He's obviously going to miss a large part of next season. He's 
he was lined up for a transfer. Mm-hmm. He was, there was transfer rumours surrounding him this summer. He's not going to get that. It's very unlikely. that. Um, I mean, Chelsea could be... They're, they're pretty wacky. They Maybe they'll buy him and have him banned for a little while. But it, it, it's, it's, it's harsh, as I mentioned earlier. He's 27. He's not, it's not as if he's 19 and super impressionable. But all his life, all his career, he's had sports betting, advertising around the field he plays on. He's got a mm-hmm. giant Hollywood Bets logo on the shirt he wears every day. Yeah. I mean, you've got to feel like some sympathy for someone who has gotten into that. And as I say, culturally, we don't know how many other players are doing this. This so is the thing. He, this he is the thing. Sloppy. Yeah, that would be my guess. That would very much be my guess. And I think in that way, you could only have but so much sympathy because he knows he's not supposed to do this. I'm sure there is plenty of instruction at the beginning of every season when HR comes in and says, here are the rules. <laughs> Reminder, you cannot do this. And I think in that way, he knew that he was breaking a rule. At the same time, when it is on the shirt, in the stadium, you have the stalls at the game, everyone and you knowing your world gambles, I, I, I think there is an element of, I don't know, it, like it's unfair, certainly, but it's also, I think, expecting behavior that is maybe, or expecting like them not to engage in behavior that I think is slightly ignorant i guess i don't really know how else to explain it other than when it's ubiquitous and then somebody takes part in it to then be like how could they do this what what an abomination this is a disgrace to the game i i I do think that's a little bit talking out of both sides of their mouth because it's just it's everywhere and there's a reason for it to be everywhere you talked about your history of working for gambling companies i mean in terms of the podcast industry and the media industry gambling companies pay they're one of the few that consistently advertise and have paid opportunities and i know plenty of people who who augment their wages and writing for newspapers or whatever else by by writing gambling columns and it and it will pay you every week and you can write a bunch of them and and it's going to work out so there's that aspect of it you look at like the premier league can have the voluntary vote to remove shirt sponsorships but you look at the championship where two-thirds of championship clubs have betting sponsorships on their kits. The EFL championship is itself is sponsored by Skybet. And so many mid to lower team, like mid to lower tier clubs need gambling companies because they will pay money for that shirt that other companies won't. And it's a way that they can make up some of that financial ground. In some ways, it balances the scales. I don't think that that necessarily means that there should be gambling everywhere and everybody should just gamble on whatever. But I think there is an inherent imbalance there that isn't really corrected. And instead, it seems like they're going after individual players mm. who might not necessarily be the root of the problem. So what's the root of the problem? And I suppose is the, is the question, right? Is, yeah. is, it, is, it the, is it the advertising? Is it, is it that it's in our faces so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think, it, I think it's that... Yeah, much like, you know, everything corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think placing a wager, you and me wanting to have a little bit of an interest in a game that we don't otherwise have interest in and putting five bucks on it, like, I don't think there's any problem with that at all. I, I don't think, and, and if it's a thing that you enjoy and enjoy doing responsibly, again, I don't really have a problem with it. But I, I think so often it becomes baked into ads and in everything we see and, and it's leaking into your VPN advertisements now. But I, and I think there is like, it's very easy for it to become so commonplace that you stop seeing that it's a game of chance and you stop seeing, especially in those machines that we're talking about or when you're gambling in a casino, the house always wins. And, and I think that it can become predatory very, very quickly. It can be corrupted 
even through legal means, very, very quickly. And that has been the thing that has always made me more uncomfortable than anything else when it comes to gambling mm. or betting is is just uh, how not even like like um, like fixed it could be or anything like that. Just that I think not knowing how everything works and walking up to get an education in it. I don't know if I'm going to trust the person who's who's taking my money to tell me everything and explain everything in detail. Maybe that's a me thing, but I think it's just there's so many unknowns about it that I think it's a very tricky thing to navigate successfully sometimes. I think what might be interesting to ask Taylor is what would the sport, particularly the sport in Europe look like if there wasn't gaming advertising anywhere. As you mentioned, two thirds was it two thirds of championship shirts yep. with, with sponsors on them? Mm-hmm. I can't so- Eight in the Premier League as well. Yeah, eight out of 20 in the Premier League. And a few seasons ago, it was it was consistently over half, over 50% of Premier mm-hmm. League shirts had uh, betting sponsorships on them. If you watch a broadcast in the UK, nine times out of 10 at the halftime in the commercials, you'll have mm-hmm. Ray Winston telling you to use the live odds uh, to bet on the second half. So, yeah. I mean... I mean, and, and that's it right there, is that if you're a 10-year-old watching that, a 10-year-old... Mm-hmm legally cannot make decisions but right there you're seeing how standardized it is it's on the shirt it's on the advertisement here's the guy at halftime telling me i should gamble here's yeah here's like like a an advertisement for a betting company it just i'm wearing the shirt of the team and that has a betting logo on it just very quickly it becomes part of your world and and that's why they're advertising to make shady like foreign betting companies that we know nothing about but they sponsor swansea so it must be okay, right? Like, it's all about that's why they're doing it. That's why they're spending that money is because it makes them, if not a household name, at the very least, it's going to give you that immediate, well, they can't be that nefarious. Like, they're sponsoring a Premier League club. Uh, and if you want to know how well that reasoning works, uh, just ask Inter why they don't have a shirt sponsor right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Turns out crypto isn't always the smartest shirt sponsor to go after. Uh, and maybe gambling, not quite at that level, but not far behind it in my mind. Yeah, metaverse, NFTs, crypto. That's a whole other discussion, mm-hmm. I suppose, Taylor. But uh, it's it, it's. It, but it's you. Quite- but here's the thing. But I I am more about. I am more not even opposed to it. Just sort of like cautious about it. I think mm. gambling frightens me in the same way that like I don't want to try certain drugs for fear that like maybe I have an addictive gene in me and suddenly I'm like, well, that's all I want for the rest mm. of my life. I worry how quickly you can go down that slope. It sounds like for you, I think you are the better example of how that isn't the case, that you can place wagers and enjoy gambling, but it, like not have it bleed into every aspect of your life. So it does seem like there's a way of doing it that isn't bad, that does sort of just give you a little bit of fun, a little bit of a thrill, and that's enough. I, th- I think one interesting way to look at it is you mentioned like a 10-year-old watching those betting commercials yeah. at halftime. Those commercials might also have advertisements for alcohol mm-hmm. and you know, Liverpool and Newcastle, their most iconic shirts have alcohol advertisements mm-hmm. on them as well. So there's maybe there's similar issues there. I'm not I'm not trying to devil's advocate this situation. But then you look at something like cigarette sponsorship, and that I is very much being phased mm-hmm. out in the UK and I believe in the US as well. But so, so in Formula One, in motorsports, cigarette advertising was huge in like the eighties and basically paid for a lot of the teams. Like Ayrton Senna's most popular uh and, and Michael Schumacher's most mm-hmm. popular cars had Marlborough. Uh, mm-hmm. and Benson and Hedges and all these cigarette brands all over them and then it just got outright banned and you know that's probably for the better given what we know about cigarettes but 
I don't know. I don't know what kind of point I'm trying to make here, but I suppose that you know censorship can work in these instances, but it would make the sport look very different. I suppose mm-hmm. if you look at eight out of twenty Premier League shirts having sponsors on, if you look at the advertising hoardings around, and you look at all the media around Premier League and other European leagues, it would be a very different place without gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's 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 exactly that. It's the selective enforcement of what is fashionable or not fashionable to some extent because when cigarette companies are throwing out that money they're everywhere they're in newspapers they're on billboards they're on tv hey chester cheetah's fun i want to be the marlboro man he's a cool (laughs) cowboy like there's that but then when we decide that's not okay then that's not okay but you can still have you know very funny beer advertisements and liquor advertisements those are a lot like it, it does seem I think liquor can be and alcohol can be equally disastrous to a person uh, if not sort of, I don't know, properly educated and informed and and if especially if they're using it to medicate. And I just think like to, to what I think you're saying, at least the idea that like we're selectively deciding this is OK and this is not that does add further confusion uh, to my understanding of things, because like, OK, so now cigarettes, not OK. Gambling only OK on the sleeve. Got it. Mm. Not on the shirt itself, the, on the front of the shirt. But the sleeve is fine. Why is that fine? Like it, it, it the the distinction they're drawing there continues to not make as much sense to me. The sleeve thing is very interesting, Taylor. So the Premier League announced recently a voluntary ban on mm-hmm. shirt sponsorship by betting companies. So that's the primary shirt sponsor on the chest of the shirt. That's not going to begin until the 26-27 yeah. season, so post-World Cup. So they're giving them a, a little runway for these contracts to run out, basically. So the, the clubs who currently have uh, sponsorship from gaming companies aren't mm-hmm. too negatively affected. But, okay, they're gone from the, they're gone from the chest. They can still be on the sleeve, as you say. Mm-hmm. And as you noted, the EFL is literally sponsored by Skybet, so, you know, the AFC Women and shirts I have have Skybet written on the mm-hmm. sleeves of them. You can still advertise in stadium. You can still advertise around the stadium. You can still advertise on the broadcast. So the the problem I have with this voluntary ban, it's made headlines, Taylor. It's it's an acceptance of the harm caused by gambling by, while simultaneously yep. doing very little about it. And yes. It's that, it's that admittance of, you know, the harm without actually taking steps yep. to you know, do something about it that is problematic for me. I also enjoyed the the padding on the back of, like, we're taking this voluntary action to get it done by 2026 in a very rah-rah cheerleader, look how great we are as a league, while ignoring that La Liga banned this in, uh, the, after the 2020-2021 season. Italy, I believe, started regulating it in 2019. So, yes, they're taking action somewhat, and they're doing it, multiple years from now when other leagues have already taken that action. I know there's existing deals, I think, that they probably have to honor. That's my guess as to why they've gone with 2026 is because that doesn't force Premier League clubs to break any sort of existing rules or existing contract, that is. But yeah, it still seems like they're removing them from the shirts to then have them elsewhere. If anything, I could see a reality, conspiracy brain could see a reality in which now if there's no competition for the front of shirt you can justifiably say to a gambling sponsor, we can't put you here and you can still charge whatever company as much as you want. But if gambling companies historically are the ones who are willing to pay to be on the shirt, I'm guessing the amount that those gambling companies are now going to pay for the sleeve is going to get jacked up pretty high. And that will effectively be just as much money coming in, except now they'll be on the sleeve. But the Premier League can say, oh, well, they're not on the front. So aren't we great? We've replaced them with 
I don't know, a liquor sponsor with a cigarette sponsor on the back. Don't worry yeah. about it. Don't ask questions. Yeah, exactly. They'll start making the sleeves longer. The back will have <laughs> exactly. more stuff on it. It's exactly. Gonna, yeah, they'll find a way. They'll find a way. <laughs> uh, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the regulations and where we go from here. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Taylor, we've, we've talked a lot about gambling in the beautiful game, but perhaps we should take a little step back and look at how we got to this position and a little bit about how, how we are where we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I understand it, gambling has been in around the sport for a very long time. 
an interesting trend that I spotted when looking specifically at the history of shirt sponsorships. That is far more recent. And that definitely seems to coincide with the like the internet boom and the idea that there is money to be made from gambling sites. Fulham is the first Premier League club to have a gambling sponsorship on the front of their shirt. Can you guess what season that was, Ryan? I'm going to say 2000 and Pizza Hut. I don't know. You were... I mean, close. If, if <laughs> I'll, the say, pizza... I'll say my genuine guess would be 2006. Uh, a little bit before, but not far off. 2002, okay. 2003, they had okay. Betfair. That escalates quickly. We get to the joint highest number would be 11 different clubs. That was in 2016, 2017, and then 2017, 2018. So we kind of hit that high watermark. Uh, but as of the 2019-20 season, of the 350 million pounds uh, that teams made from shirt sponsorships, about 70 million came from gambling brands. So about a fifth, I would say, uh, which is actually less than I thought it would be. But I think it's because some of those deals are for Manchester United with the amount of money they can make for selling that shirt sponsorship. Whereas Fulham, uh, Newcastle, Swansea, whomever, we said, that's where you can make your money. And I think that's where it's become more accepted over the years is for smaller clubs to make up that difference or the difference such as they can by getting a a, a gambling company. I think Newcastle under Mike Ashley, I think they were getting 6.5 million pounds for the betting company they had on theirs. I don't think there's many other companies that are going to give them that amount of money to be on the front of a shirt for a team that isn't very good and is always sort of in that relegation conversation, but gambling companies will. And so that, to my understanding, is why it has been around for so long is that gambling companies can afford to spend a little bit more and so they will but also at least in england people love a love a wager and i think that is not limited to england i think plenty of europe uh, embraces the gambling model as well and so you've had to have that individual enforcement then uh, as a result well what's interesting there taylor about people in england loving a wager is if you would look at the shirt sponsorships in the premier league and how many of them are actually betting companies that operate in England. Mm-hmm. Most of them aren't. Most nope. of them are Asian. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you see things like Classico Times being changed to suit Asian betting markets. Mm-hmm. And you know, advertising hoardings not in English language or even English alphabet uh, going, around, uh, going around in Premier League games. The market in, in uh, certain Asian territories is huge for sports gaming. So the Premier League as a global product has very much positioned itself to be a vehicle for that. Yep. So it's 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 a global, it's, you know, not just a European concern. I feel like with the big thing, it's an ongoing tradition that I find a way to reference The Wire or quote The Wire. And there's the great line in that show from uh, Detective Lester Freeman, who I love, who says <laughs> basically, like, you follow drugs, you're going to get drugs, and you're going to get drug dealers. But you follow the money, and you don't know where you're going to go. And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here, is there is so much money to be made off of football, specifically off of gambling. And a lot of it is in East Asian markets, as you as you spotted or as you've point, pointed out, that I think there is an acceptance. There is an incorporation into the planning. You talked about changing game times and the like. It, it's, it's a strange thing that when you start to think about it too much, number one, you don't really know where you're going to end up. But number two, it also starts to make you not like soccer as much because it, it just reminds you that there's so many other things impacting this otherwise very simple thing that you love. But when you start to feel like there are things behind the scenes dictating decisions, dictating the way things are happening, it starts to feel less like a thing that you have any involvement in and more like a thing that other people are kind of making happen and then you are allowed to watch it on TV. Mm. You realize you are 
the product. Yeah. Or you are the consumer, whichever yep. one's worse. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, troubling, troubling. And so in terms of what, what is happening in terms of regulation, obviously in the UK market, I can speak uh, specifically to that. There, there are gambling regulations that uh, govern what betting companies can and can't do. And something which the whole industry was quite worried about in the last few weeks was this gambling white paper, which had been long mm-hmm. delayed. It was about six months, possibly more delayed by the UK government, which was putting forward their recommendations for how gambling should be treated in, and legalized and, and, uh, and presented in the UK. So not, um, and a, lot part, a big part of this was to do with soccer. And the line that came out of this white paper, which came out two weeks ago, I believe, as we record, was that everyone now has Las Vegas in their pocket. So they needed to bring legislation in line with the digital age, in line with the fact that betting apps are everywhere on phones. And um, the last legis- lot of legislation that was for in the UK, certainly, was for a time when it was like when I went to Selhurst Park back in the day and you filled in a little piece of paper. Very different world we're in now. Yeah. A kid can have a betting app on their phone if they uh, find a way to do it, right? That's terrifying. Right. Yep. That is terrifying indeed. So there's a, there's a lot of that in but this But they did thing. have to check that box that says they're 18, though, so it's fine. So even though they're 11 and they tick that box, they, they, now it's legal. Now we're good. They've done the one minimum requirement, uh, and now they can gamble away. It's fine. Yeah, this this reminds me. My wife is a teacher, and she I think there was one time she did an exercise and said, how many of the kids, how many of my kids in my class are, are on Instagram? And like mm-hmm. three quarters of them put their hands up. Yep. And she was like, you're all breaking the law because yep. none of you are old enough to be on it. So yep. like, there's a whole thing. There's a whole thing there, basically. It's it's easy access to this kind mm-hmm. of thing is the concern of this white paper, which um, it, it wasn't as draconian as the gambling industry expected it to be. Uh, you could call it a little bit feckless, I suppose. But basically what it was promoting is greater affordability checks and looking after vulnerable players, which is a, a very healthy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because as we mentioned, I, I, I like I enjoy a little gamble, but it's it's five bucks tops. I never, I never gamble anything more than that. If I'm honest, I just do it to spice up games in which I don't have a horse to run. Um, but it, vulnerable players, people who are, you know, um, who need to be looked after a little bit in that respect, they are. Be, the intention is for them to be uh, be uh, helped out by mm-hmm. this legislation. So that's something that's happening in the UK. And I suppose what we're seeing here with the with the voluntary ban on shirt sponsorship. Yes, I've argued that it's a little bit. Um, you know, feckless when when there's still other kinds of advertising everywhere in your face. But I think it might be the tide is changing a little bit. And how I mentioned how cigarette sponsorship left Formula One and it's left everything else. It, obviously, it's left most sports. I wonder if the tide is turning a little bit. Pub- public opinion is changing on this kind of thing, Taylor. Mm. And I think we might see maybe in the next 10 years um, this kind of thing going away a little bit. That'd be interesting, I, and I don't. I think I would. I think that would make me happy. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Would it, uh, would it actually though? Would it? Do you think? Because uh, you mentioned your. Um, I, I, think, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot. You yeah. mentioned a slight lack of comfortability with the gambling <laughs> yeah. in the sport, which is perfect. It's a very, very rational position to take. So, I mean, I suppose what what's, what's what the problem is here, Taylor? Soccer isn't perfect. We know it's not. We just had a World Cup in Qatar. Mm-hmm. We have teams who are owned by nation states. There's a lot wrong in the game, and gambling is a part of that. So if yes. we took gambling out, it would be, you know, maybe that would be a good thing in many people's eyes, but there'd still be a lot of imperfection in this game. This is the thing. And, and also, like, like alcohol can be wonderful and it can also be very, very dangerous. I would not say the temperance movement had it right when they said, let's ban alcohol entirely and the world will be better. In that situation, it just becomes 
bootlegging and more crime. And and I think that is the thing is if you try to remove gambling from it, it's just going to lead to more illegal gambling and more off the books gambling. And I don't think that helps anybody or makes anything better. Um, I, I, I think so many people seem to enjoy it. It seems to be such a big part of uh, society, global society, or at the le- at very least, if we're talking about England in this case, it seems to be English society. I think it's 22 and a half million people uh, place a bet each month, according to the Betting and Gambling Council. Wow, uh, yeah, really? That's in the UK. And that's the, like, pro-gambling. <laughs> like, So I don't that's... know if they're trying to minimize that or maximize that. So for context, Taylor, there's like 70 million people in the UK, so that's a big proportion. That's what I'm saying, yes. So I think to then deprive 22 million people of a thing that they want to do, I wouldn't go that far with it. But I think your point is well taken, that it becomes about societal perceptions and the way it's discussed and the way it's reported. I I look at alcohol and I think there is much more stigma about the advertising of alcohol, but like, and you'll still get the, you know, drink whiskey, it's the most fun. And then the little thing at the end that's like, "Uh, you know, do it responsibly or whatever. Like alcohol ads are always like, look how glamorous and wonderful life could be, but you know, do it responsibly. And that one little line, I don't think that one little line is, is stopping people from drinking or making people think, you know what, I should be more responsible. I think it's how often we see uh, drunk drivers prosecuted and like uh, tragedies happening relating to alcohol usage and drunk driving and, and the societal perception of overindulgence in alcohol. And I think society and the way we talk about it, the way it gets sort of covered, I think that tends to frame how acceptable it becomes in the mainstream. And I think to your point, the more people start to identify predatory practices or, hey, my 12-year-old has a gambling app and they are down 500 because it's like somehow linked to my account or my wallet, my Apple wallet or whatever it might be, I think the more hesitation there will be from people to, to kind of talk about it as openly or make it as much of an open thing to present it to their kids as being a thing that's just, yeah, you do it. It's no big deal without really pausing to think about, well, it's no big deal to me because I've been gambling for 30 years and I know my limits and I know how to do it. Mm. My 15 year old who's only just heard like gambling is no big deal. Awesome. Like, I think that sends a very different message. So I think to some extent it's, yeah, it's about changing the societal understanding and the way we talk about it. And also I think destigmatizing it at the same time that it's not just some like, Ooh, gambling. That's bad. Oh, he likes to gamble. Ooh, that's, that's troubling. I think it goes that way too, that you have to kind of put it out in the open, but then also be willing to discuss it positively and negatively. Yeah. And, I, I must admit, I, I do feel troubled. I mean, obviously, I don't have a problem with gambling personally, but I am aware that it is a problematic area in which I operate. And I, I think, like, there was a, there was an instance a few weeks ago where I, was, I cheered at the end of a game, and my daughter was like, "What's what, what's going on, Daddy?" Mm-hmm. And I, was, I was like, "Oh, you know, that team won, and it was under two and a half goals. Daddy did all right in that one." And I was like, "I was joking, but also I've just sort of told my child about the process of gambling on a game. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that because, I, you know, that was kind of my upbringing as well. And I've not been harmed by it, but I understand and recognize that it is not an entirely positive thing that I have done there or that I necessarily contribute to society yeah. by effectively selling betting tips, which is something I do. Yeah. I have friends, I have friends who will bet against their favorite team so that, if their team wins, they're happy, and if their team loses, uh, well, then they made money. And there's win, ways win. of there's ways ways of hedging it. But even there, then you're betting against your club, or you're betting for it, like you're cheering for a particular outcome. It does sort of manipulate the way that you're uh, consuming the media for sure. Mm. 
All right, Taylor. Um, so I, I reckon in the next 10 years, we're going to mm-hmm. see a different approach to gaming. And we're going to see a very different approach in the US. Because as I say, it's, a, it's, it's, it's nascent stage. MLS has a betting partner. Individual mm-hmm. teams will have their own betting partners, and many of them do have them at the moment. If you watch an NWSL game, you'll see line odds on the screen. So this is the way the industry is changing. This is the way broadcasters are monetizing their product at the moment by including gambling within it. Mm. I, I think as, as the trend to advertising gaming goes down in the UK, I kind of have a theory it's sort of on its ascendancy in the US just because it's a different stage mm-hmm. of growth. So I think it's very two different market. It's two very different markets we're talking about here. But if you had to predict in sort of ten years where we're going to be at with this kind of thing, what would you say? Is it going to go the way of the dodo and smoking advertising? Uh, I don't think so. But but I think it will have to continue to evolve because even when it starts becoming more common, like looking at daily fantasy, that to me is a move towards. Fantasy leagues take too long. They take too long to decide who's going to win the league. You can't make that much money off of them unless you're betting large amounts. But we also, the gambling companies, can't make money off of it. So let's make it into a daily thing where you can gamble the day of and you can make your own fantasy team that day and see what happens and see the results. There's an immediate gratification there that I didn't see coming, that I didn't think would be the way they sort of went with it. And and so my assumption is that it will continue to be an evolution of that idea of how to make micro incidents, uh, things that you can gamble on, which is what we're getting already with prop bets. But I, I think it'll it'll be my guess would be more user friendly and and less of a like obvious I am betting, I am gambling, and more of a this is a fun game I'm playing about the teams that I like. Oh, and I can make some money off of it, which I think is how they're marketing it to begin with. I think that marketing will go a long way towards continuing uh, for gambling to evolve. And I think that's deliberate. I think there's a reason we call it daily fantasy apps versus fantasy gambling apps, which is what they are. <laughs> like, So I, I think it will stay pretty common. I think that then leads to the problem of, I think, footballers, if they're brought up in a world where everyone around them, around them gambles and all their mates are gambling, well, like the only reason they're not is because the league says, like, hey, don't do that or else. And that's where I think, as silly as this might be, it might be a totally ludicrous suggestion, but we've seen leagues trial different rules here and there. MLS does that pretty frequently. I think it'd be interesting if a league trialed a season in which there was like one gambling company, or maybe the league created its own gambling company, where players could place wagers, not on their games. Uh, and like, I, I don't know how you could then police... Uh, like word of mouth, because then there's still that risk of like, well, I'm not betting on myself, but my buddy told me that his team isn't going to score today, so I'll bet on them. But I think if you tried to regulate it from a player standpoint and made it more of a thing that they could do with like bets being tracked or they had to report it or whatever it might be, I think it'd be interesting to see how responsible players are in that setting. I mean, it requires honesty and transparency, and maybe that's ridiculous, but I just I, I, I think where I end up having sympathy for people like Ivan Tony is that I think when it's culturally so accepted, it's a strange thing that it's an it's an uneasy alliance that like the NFL seems to have of everyone gambles and uh, there's money to be made on gambling, but you guys just just don't do it. You guys aren't allowed to do it or or if you do, don't get caught. Like it it just it doesn't seem like a very official rule and it feels very rife for corruption and mistreatment and so if there's a way to i don't know maybe make it more standardized or just more 
easily trackable and reportable. I don't know if that's the worst thing. It might be, but it might be interesting to try as just a way of doing something different. There we go. Well, Ryan does not agree based on that immediate response. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet you know that that's true. I'll give you two to one odds. How's that? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know anymore. I'll tell you what I will do. I'll give you uh, two to one odds on uh, you take Real Madrid and I'll take Man City uh, for yesterday's game. Mm, tempting. Okay. Tempting. Cool. I'll write it down. I'll write it down. A hundred dollar wager, it. and uh, we'll see what goes. Oh, did you put it in a little book in your book? I did. I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. An actual okay. book. <laughs> Wonderful stuff, Taylor. All right, this is a this is a, uh, an interesting topic for us to have discussed. I hope, listener, you enjoyed this one. Let us know your thoughts on this one, by the way. Um, I don't think we've come to any grand solutions here, Mm-mm. but we we shall see how this evolves. And I'm sure Ivan Tony isn't going to be the last player to fall foul of these rules, but maybe nope. we'll see a less drastic approach to, uh, to to the bans i'm not sure short, short of ivan tony having wager on his own games which we don't have any evidence that he did is kieran trippier's not worse because i feel like his is like he had someone else do it for him as i understand it mm-hmm. but then also bet on his own move like that is the i like the number one thing you're trying to avoid it's, it's the equivalent of insider trading as you said that one does feel to me way worse and yet not nearly as punished uh that that, that one continues to confuse me yeah i suppose it does sound worse, but it does depend what was being bet sure. upon by True. Ivan Tony. I, I find it hard to believe there was integrity issues there. I think he probably just liked to bet on other games. Yep. I would suspect. Yep. I'm thinking the best of him there. So we shall see. Uh, we won't see, actually, because we'll never find that information no, we out. <laughs> well, you, you never know who's going to move in next to you at any given point, Ryan. You tend to have a litany of famous people living around you. So maybe one day Ivan Tony moves in next to you, and then we'll find out some answers. We can but dream. We can't dream. We can't I'll go door knocking. I'll go door knocking, <laughs> and then we'll find out, Taylor. All right, let's let's wrap it up there, Taylor. Thank you very much for your contributions to this conversation. I hope um, I made a little bit of sense in this one. You certainly I, did. I, I feel the exact same in that entire statement. So thank you, my friend, <laughs> and thank you, listener, for joining us on this one. Let us know what you thought of this big thing episode. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.